Season 4, Episode 2 of the Bearded Carcast. Alongside Dave Friedman, I am Mike Pacheco. Glad everybody is uh, listening. We had uh, good good numbers last week. And, of course, if you want to join the Bearded Carcast, you can follow along at Bearded Carcast on Twitter. And, of course, Bearded Carcast at Outlook.com. We had a full slate uh, in the NFL, college football in its second week, baseball playoffs, NBA playoffs, uh, NHL still going on, although since the Bruins have been eliminated, I'm not sure that I've been paying any attention to that. But how, how are we doing, Dave? How, what's going on? We're good. And it was an enjoyable week of NFL football, and I've got lots of thoughts, and I'm sure you do too. But every week we try to talk about the abnormal, what is different, what set this week apart. And you've covered a lot of games over a lot of years, and now you've broadcast minor league baseball games with 22 people in attendance. But this was different. You were at an NFL game in a stadium that had no fans. What was that like? Dave, that's actually a pretty good question. Um, And it's funny because a lot of people have asked me about that. You know, what was it like? coming into the going into the stadium and uh, you know it's really weird there there are certain times in our lives where what we do does kind of mirror up with what you hear athletes say you know a lot of times when I reflect back on you know what's most fun about what we do with Winthrop it's really the time that you and I spend together and with Brett Redden and some of the other friends that we've made doing this same thing with the Knights and with the Panthers, of course, we love calling the games, and that's that's what we're passionate about. But it's the stuff that maybe doesn't get on the air, or the times that you have off air that are they're just as enjoyable. And so, when you heard uh, the players say this week or last week that you know, hey, it was uh, you know it was a little weird going into the stadium or your pregame warmups, but you know, once we played the game, you know, everything kind of went away. And for me, I think that was it was pretty much spot on. Driving in probably took me about five or 10 minutes less than it normally did just because there was no traffic and the walk from the garage to the stadium, you know, normally uh, on that part of Mint street where we would kind of dump out of the parking lot, you know, there's this this giant street festival going on. And uh, you know, there was none of that. You could hear, it was really funny. And I actually made a joke to Mick Mixon who sends his best, by the way, he asked me how, uh, how my buddy Dave Friedman was doing. (laughs) And um, I said, because we were up in the press box in the, in the Panthers booth and I said, Mick, this is like being at a college basketball game like an hour before the game because there was nothing but music blaring. I mean, it was like 40 decibels too high. Uh, but you could hear that out on the street. So that was maybe the only atmosphere that you got a sense of walking into the stadium. But, it, you know, the words I would use, it was kind of eerie. It was strange, surreal. Um, and it was like, am I really going in to, to do a game? But I'll tell you what, once, and you know, not that be Captain Cliche here, but once, you know, once they kicked it off, it really felt like a normal game. Now there were certain situations where you would have noticed, you know, obviously a bump from the crowd, you know, whether it's good plays or bad plays. I think that, you know, the anticipation going into that fourth and one late in the game in the fourth quarter where the Panthers, uh, instead of handing off to McCaffrey, handed off to Alex Arma, tried to do a little trickery on the, you know, you really feel like your fullback should get you a yard in that situation. But, you know, you didn't have that sense of drama, right? Where the crowd would be building up to it. And then when they didn't get the first down, kind of that, uh, you know. So, I mean, there, there were times in the game where th- that was missing. And I think at the end of the game, it was a little bit like that too because, um, you know, it was a very close game, the Panthers and Raiders. And I will say this. I was doing the in-house PA for the Panthers. Not once did I say Oakland. So I was happy about that. Ah, very good. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know you were doing the in-house PA. Yeah, Boomer couldn't How do it. How did you so, enjoy that? Well, it is interesting because uh, as from, from trying to think as an analyst, 
uh, I was so hyper focused on what was going on in every play that I don't know that I, uh, I, I don't know that I absorbed the full fullness of the game. If that makes sense, you know, I was so focused on each individual play. I mean, I mean, I remember each individual play. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, I, I find that to be fascinating because I have, and I'll be interested to see if you get this. When I broadcast a game on radio, and the key to broadcasting radio is describing everything that goes on because your audience cannot see. So every detail matters and every piece of description matters. Then when I turn around and do a game on television where you want to make sure the analyst is the star and you don't need to describe Jones in the left corner because they can see the picture of Jones in the left corner. You're just kind of punctuating what goes in the game. I am much more used up and tired and exhausted after a game on radio where you're describing every instance of a game, whereas on TV, you're just kind of adding. What about you? You normally watch the game as kind of an analyst, and then you analyze the game on the post-game show. Here, to a degree, you're doing play-by-play because you need to know who has the ball, who catches the ball, and who makes the tackle on every single play. Yeah, and I think the difference is with um, so with doing what I was doing, I was, and, and it's interesting because you know the, the audience that we have um, is larger on radio or on television. Um, but this is like doing theater, right? Because I mean, they're, they're, you're basically just telling the reporters in the media that are in the press box, you know. And it, it's funny because I mean they see what's going on, right? So there's this, you know, I think the added stress is you don't want to make a mistake. Because, you know, you don't want to look like an idiot in front of your peers. Um, and what's also interesting is, you know, you have what, – what, what I like about doing it this is – you and I wish I had this for um, – for, well, I don't – haven't done football but uh, in a long, long time. But uh, it would be nice to have this in football. I mean, they, you know, because I'm up with the stat crew, so they're calling out all these numbers, and it's like, you know, 54 on the tackle, six yards to the 34. And you got to, like – you got to, like, take all that information in and – it doesn't necessarily come in the same order at every time. And sometimes they're talking when I'm talking. So it's like you're trying to figure out everything. Now, sometimes it's obvious, right? I mean, if it's a play in space and it's, you know, Trey Boston making the tackle, okay, tackle by Boston. But when you have like McCaffrey up the middle and there's like 14 guys scrumming in the middle, you know, it's hard, it's hard to, to tell who's doing the tackle. I think from an, so, but so I think from an analyst standpoint, what I like is like when, when I'm doing the games with you is I'm hearing you kind of call out, all the pertinent information I need to have, I'm trying to see what I can do to add extra flavor to what you're saying. Or, or, and actually I kind of view my job as being your eyes because you're focused on where the ball is. I try to see a bigger picture of not only where the ball is, but you know, is there a ball screen that happened that you maybe not recognize that allowed a guy to, to spring free and then I can fill in that. So it really completes the picture. So Jonathan Abram had 13 stops for Las Vegas in that game. How many times did he say his name? Um, probably 13. <laughs> oh, that, very good. I think that's a job you need a spotter for. No, you do. And and that's what I was saying. That they're, they're, um, so the way they have it lined up is there's like they have they have the video feed. So, so this basically what these guys do is the play-by-play that you see if you get the game book. And um, that's like the league's official, uh, it's the official scorebook. It's the official record of, of the game. So there's uh, one guy that's in charge of the offense, calling out the offensive plays. 
uh, players. There's a defensive guy who's in charge of that. There's another guy that's all he's in charge of is the scoring drive or the play drive. And then there are two guys um, that that are kind of hooked into the computer system that are sending it back, and they're also relaying information. So, like I said, I mean, it's like a and, – and they're a well-oiled machine. A lot of these guys have been together for a long time, and it was really fun to be there. Um, I, I really wish I had had a preseason game to, to just kind of um, get back into it. Doing the first game was a little rough, but – uh, there's no way you could do that job without a spotter and not, I mean, not do it well, you know, and like the, the guy that was doing the drives, like he would also help me with like punt yardage and, um, in return yep. and stuff like that. I mean, it was, it's fun. And, but to me, it was kind of like what you talked about though. I mean, I was so hyper-focused and it was, um, you know, I would have to th- like, when I had like a minute to think, I would try to piece everything together so I could, you know, be prepared for the post game show but it was kind of draining, uh, you know, going into the postgame show. I was like, I was like, wow, that was, you know, and I hadn't done it in maybe a year and a half. So it's, it was, um, but it was, I will say this. It was great to be back. It was, it well, was. Well, I mean, in the. Yeah, go ahead. In the postgame show, there was only one play that needed to be talked about. And you brought it up already. And, you know, the Panthers have a, a young coaching staff. They have a new coaching staff and you know they ran however many plays they ran 60 or 80 plays but there's only one that anybody's going to talk about and you already brought it up I, I mean yes your fullback should or could get you one yard but you have arguably the best running back in the NFL and I, I feel like we had this discussion last year early in the season when Cam Newton didn't get the ball at the end of a game and we ended up finding out he was injured yada 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 but you, you, you. The reason you pay certain players is when the money's on the line, they get the ball. I, I think it's inexcusable. Well, I think the other thing is, um, and not not defending it, but um, you know, McCaffrey had a lot of. I mean, it was that was a. I forget the exact number. McCaffrey, I think, had almost every touch before that, or maybe all but one or two. Um, and I get it. I, I agree. With, I mean, I agree with you. If 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 it were up to me, I hand the ball to twenty two in that situation and take my chances. Um, I understand why you might think you could kind of sneak one in there with Alex Arma, um, and maybe I think one of the reasons why was, you know, this isn't. I could see the same play being called under Ron Rivera, you know, in in previous administrations. So you know, this is they're, they're looking at tape from LSU and Baylor. Ron, Ron Rivera, who was fired. Yeah, uh, and came back from down seventeen to win his first game in Washington. Yeah, I mean, I mean, qu- quick, quickly got another job, but but got fired. Those type of decisions, and again, it's game one. It's a rebuilding year. N- no one is going to blame the Panthers for losing an individual game in a season where they're going to end up going six and ten or seven and nine or something anyway. But th- I I don't like the precedent that sets. At all, but let me, but let me, but let me say this. Players in the league, and yeah, no, I was gonna say I I understand what you're saying from a precedent standpoint, but look at it this way: you think in that situation again, they'll call that same play again? No, I think it's a good learning experience for a guy who's in his first season calling games in the NFL. I don't know if this is precedent setting. I think it's a learning experience. 
Christian McCaffrey has a $17 million contract and is going to make a heck of a lot more than that. Alex Arman makes $735,000. And it, it, that's not to say he's not a valuable member of the team and a contributor, but he's a sixth-round draft pick who went to a small school that no one's ever heard of before. And you've got guys on the team that you've got equity in. Christian McCaffrey needs to get the ball. You can throw it to him. You can pitch it to him. You can snap it directly to him. You can run him left. You can run him right. You can run him up the middle. You have to get your best players the ball. Now, if he doesn't make it, that's fine. But he is the franchise. No, I and I would I would agree with that. I th- and again, I think this is a learning moment. Uh, you know, for for Joe Brady, for the the coordinator for the, the Panthers. Um, and I think that's something that they'll they'll build upon. Yeah, I mean there were a couple other things. I mean there were some things. There were some drops. Um, you know, Robbie Anderson had a, had a really good game. Uh, had a, over 100 yards receiving. I thought Teddy Bridgewater looked good. I mean there were there were some positives. But you got. I mean, look, if you want to be a winning team in the NFL, you need a yard. You got to get a yard. And that's. I mean, that's. It's. You know, yeah. It's a big thing. And the, the defense. Um, and I think you and I talked about this off air maybe a month ago. I said I, I this team's going to score. And I didn't think I got the the point total accurately. I was close, but I think they're going to be in a lot of. I think I said like thirty six, thirty two games, or you know something similar. Um, and and that's going to be that's going to be it. Now the defense has has to make some some headway. They didn't the the pressure really. Neither team had any great pressure on the quarterback. I mean, both quarterbacks had plenty of time. Um, you know, it's early. It'll be interesting to see though, Dave. Is you know the the big cliche among analysts is. You know, the NFL team makes its biggest improvement, or most football teams, doesn't matter if it's uh, NFL or college, but they make the biggest improvement between week one and week two, and we'll see. You know, and for the most part, league-wide, I think a lot of the games have, um, you know, been real, more vanilla or basic, uh, and so you didn't see a lot of, at least in the games I've watched, you didn't really see a lot of sloppy penalties as far as, you know, offsides, um, procedure, you know, things like that. Uh, one to get back to the point total or the win total though, and Darren Gant made a good point. A uh, good friend from ProFootballTalk.com. He was on the post game show. He actually said this on the pregame show going into the game, but it, it's still applicable to some extent. And that you don't want to give games away, right? But you know, most of the wins the Panthers will get this year, you could sort of look at as being house money, right? Because there nobody really knows what to expect from this team. Yep. So you know, uh, the one question I wanted to ask, and I forgot to, I, I just. We didn't have time, and I, 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 we moved on to other things. But, you know, what does this say about the Raiders? You know, I mean, you know, the Panthers had a good chance to win that game or had a chance to win that game. So is that an indication of, you know, the, the Panthers maybe didn't play as well as they could have or are the Raiders maybe not as good as some people may have thought? Now, I, I don't think anyone thought the Raiders were going to be like a 12-win team. I'm not saying they're a juggernaut, but I don't know what that's – you know, you know, what do you say about week one? I know one of the things that we wanted to talk about was – you know what were the good things that came out of week one? Um, you know I don't I don't know the I don't I don't I think the jury's still out when you look at these two teams, the Panthers and the and the Raiders. I think the Panthers and the Raiders are two so-so football teams who played a really competitive close game, and I don't think either of them are playoff teams. I will say this though. The division the Panthers in appears to me to be better than the division the Raiders are in. Because while Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City looked terrific in the opener, I was not impressed by the Raiders. I was not impressed by the Chargers. And 
th- that division looks like it could be a mess because I-, I didn't think Denver was very good last night. Whereas I think you had to think New Orleans looked pretty good. Atlanta, they got behind, but they fought yeah. and they certainly looked kind of more adult and more mature. And if not a 10 or 12 win team, they're certainly an eight or a nine win type team. And then Tampa Bay, I don't know exactly what you make of that. They certainly have a lot of talent. Was your thought that Tom Brady made one or two mistakes and generally was pretty good? Or did you think he struggled? You know, that's interesting. We had that game on in the studio um, during the postgame show. And the first pick, I think, was okay. And then the second one was the pick six. And um, and I was like, wow. But uh, they came right back and scored after that. You know, And that's the poise of, of a veteran guy. Um, I didn't see all his throws. Uh, looked like a couple throws weren't um, maybe throws that he would have made or weren't accurate enough. You know, and, and maybe kind of leading to your point is, you know, Maybe his father time starting to catch up with him, but then there are other times where he made pretty good throws. You know, um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I hate the knee, and I, I'm very guilty of doing this. Um, but I do caution against the knee jerk after one week. Um, I still think Tampa Bay is going to be pretty good, but I think the Saints. We and we, I think we would agree on this. I mean, I think we all had it. You know, Saints, Tampa Bay, Atlanta. You know, very close to each other. Carolina fourth in the division. I think that still still holds out. Um, I, I need to see a little bit more out of uh, out of Tampa Bay, though. And it, I thought, what did you make of the comments after the game and then on Monday, where Bruce Arians was basically, uh, you know, some people said he threw Brady under the bus a little bit. I think he was just being honest and said, you know, I kind of expected better from you know the guy that we picked up in free agency. Yeah, I mean, if he expected better, he didn't watch the last two years. <laughs> Tom Brady was a great quarterback Tom Brady is going to have good games he's got good wide receivers he's got capable running backs his offensive line seems to be okay they, they're going to have moments they're going to win games but there's no one that's objectively watching the NFL that would pick him over a large swath of players whether it be Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or the next six or eight guys. I mean, he's he's just not that good anymore. He's not horrible. He's certainly an NFL starting quarterback, but he he's not going to win many games consistently just on his right arm. He's going to win with good game plans. He's going to win with terrific plays around him. What he could really do or use is the Peyton Manning philosophy of I'll go to a team that has some weapons and the defense will win me games, but Tampa Bay doesn't have that. And that's what scares me about Tampa Bay. They have an average or worse quarterback and a bad defense or a mediocre defense. Now, they did play against one of the best offenses in the NFL, but but they look to me to be okay, sort of all right, maybe good, not great, somewhere in that eight and eight, nine and seven, seven and nine sort of situation. I don't know that they're a lot different than Atlanta, who I think is probably not elite, but pretty good. What did you make of Cam Newton? Well, I had that game, not the video on, uh, but I did have the stat, um, you know, the NFL uh, GSIS 
which has you know all the games and all the stats and stuff like that. So I was keeping an eye on it, um, and I watched the highlights. Um, and I'm I'd be curious to see. You know, I had some of my friends texting me both during and after the game, and um, I think the the trend was uh, mostly positive. Obviously, I, I think it was a great debut for him. And when you look at you know Tom Brady, uh, you know obviously was a tough act to follow, but Bill Belichick I thought was uh, as Bill Bel as as effusive as Bill Belichick can be was very complimentary um, about Cam Newton. And I think one of the misconceptions nationally, um, I think locally most people got it or at least heard the message enough. Um, you know, when Ron Rivera or, you know, Mike Shula before him or with Mike Shula and then, um, you know, of course, later with Norv Turner, like football people always said what a great work ethic he had. And, you know, he was one of the first guys into the into the building and always watching film and very competitive and, you know, that's what New England needed to follow up with Tom Brady, I think, was somebody that uh, they felt could help them win. I thought it was interesting because the one of the funny things I got a text was, you know, they were used to run, run, pass. And uh, I guess there was a third down where they ran the ball. And I think I don't remember if he got it or not. But one of my friends was texting me is like, you know, we're not used to this, you know, running on third down. I said, well, get used to it because that's, you know, we saw a lot of that. And some of that's broken plays, too. Uh, some of his designed runs, but sometimes Cam Newton in a third and long situation would scramble and, and use his legs. My question, Dave, is I think this was a good first game for him. Um, I don't know if it's sustainable for him to be able to run as many times as he did. I mean, he had 15 carries, 75 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, the most – I think he had – three years ago he had six touchdowns. Last year, of course, he didn't have any because he, he only played a couple of games. Uh but, I mean, he's on pace to pass the 10 rushing touchdowns that he had in the Super Bowl year of 2015. Uh, I mean, I hope he can sustain uh, a workload. My theory is that uh, I think what Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick were doing, um, and not all those 15 runs, by the way, were designed runs. I'd say probably half of those, from what I read, were on the, the uh, read option, right? So he, he chose to run. Um so that wasn't, you know, 15 designed runs would be concerning to me. But if it's a zone read and that's what the, the defense is giving you, I think that's a different story. I, again, I don't know if that's sustainable over, you know, 15 more games. But it does – here's what this does, though, Dave. I mean, he was 15 of 19, which is pretty good, um, and didn't throw an interception. So if he can maybe get the – I'd like to see the passing attempts go up a little bit more, the running a little bit less. Um, but I think for him – uh, it was certainly a, a good debut, and it'll be interesting. Now, coming up, uh, you know, they go to Seattle, so, you know, no offense to the Dolphins, and I know you're a big Dolphins fan, uh, but this is this is going to be a totally different animal, and I know we'll, we'll talk about this later, so I'll save the, the big number that I was going to throw out when we talk about our picks. Um, but that's going to be a – well, it's interesting, right? Um, you know, Tampa Bay goes into New Orleans with no fans, right, and lose. Uh, Patriots are going to go into Seattle without the 12th man and that 12th man effect. I think it'll be interesting to see what effect, if, you know, what that has. It, it's gonna, I think that's going to be something that's going to be interesting because that's, you know, they build that up as being such a huge advantage and, uh, you know, you're not going to have that, that, that crowd element in that game. And it'll be, I don't know, I think those are the, some of the things I think are kind of interesting, kind of the, to see does that really play into effect. I mean, the, the one thing I, we were talking about on the postgame show, was, you know, how much does preseason matter? 
right? Because, I mean, there was no preseason, and I'd say for the most part in week one, and again, I think a lot of teams kind of went real basic in their game plans. I mean, they still game planned, of course, and had tweaks, but uh, I don't think you saw a lot of craziness. I mean, Las Vegas did try a flea flicker, and, uh, you know, so it's not like it was devoid of any, um, um, what's the word, like any kind of creativity, but, you know, I, I think that's something that's kind of interesting to keep an eye on. Preseason matters for first-year coaches, and we saw a lot of first-year coaches struggle. The Giants lost, and the Panthers lost. We saw Ron Rivera win, but they trailed 17-0. They got off to a slow start. I mean, not having a preseason benefits the teams with some sort of continuity. Like the Chiefs. Now, something that... Yeah, exactly. I mean, you got a really good coach, you got a really good quarterback, you plug in a bunch of weapons, kind of doesn't matter whether you have a preseason or not with a team like that. But I watched the entire Dolphins-Patriots game, and on my second TV, I was watching Minnesota and Green Bay, and since we're probably not going to talk a great deal about that, I think the Vikings might be really bad. I mean, oh, wow. I thought they've been poorly coached yeah. for several years. They lost a bunch of defenders. They drafted a bunch of new defenders. Yes, Aaron Rodgers looked really good, but the Vikings looked totally and utterly lost, and I'm not so sure that that's not going to be a reoccurring theme. Now, I wouldn't say that Detroit or Chicago looked that good, and those are the teams they're going to play a lot, but, but Minnesota looks like they are teetering on being bad to me. But back to Cam Newton and that game. I know there is an adage that as great as John Madden was as a analyst, nobody has ever tuned into a game because of a broadcaster. You can have your A crew or your D crew and the same number of people are going to watch. But for me personally, if Chris Collinsworth or Tony Romo are doing the game, my enjoyment of the game and my understanding of the game go up dramatically. And I thought Romo did a terrific job talking about Cam Newton, who played well, but did a couple of the airhead things that we saw here in Carolina. Occasionally, he just completely failed to read the coverage. A couple of times, he made a wrong read or threw off his back foot. He in no way, shape, or form was perfect. In fact, what he looked like was the exact same guy we've seen for most of a decade with the Panthers. But as much as people don't watch more for a broadcaster, they don't watch more for a coaching staff. Yet, it's pretty clear that if you have an elite coach and you have an elite offensive coordinator, your team runs at a higher level and you get more out of individual players. I thought the game plan for Cam Newton was near perfect. I loved the way they used him. I think that perhaps the difference in a great shocker between Ron Rivera and Bill Belichick is a significant one. One guy just got fired after a perfectly lovely, fine tenure here, and the other guy is probably the best 
that's ever done it. And I think having signed Cam Newton to a one-year contract is as perfect as perfect gets because they can use him in any way that they want to. He's a battering ram. He's essentially another running back. Oh, by the way, he can throw the ball too. I don't know what the plan is once Cam Newton gets hurt, and I think Cam Newton will get hurt, but I kind of have in the back of my head that they have a plan for that. And if Cam Newton makes it through the season and the Patriots go, 10 and 6, 11 and 5, 12 and 4. I don't think they're going to give Cam Newton a large salary. I think they're going to say, We had a great year with you, and we'll bring in our new battering ram next year. I think there is nothing to lose for New England. They're going to use him exactly how they want to use him. He's got all the motivation in the world because he needs a new contract, whether it be from them or somebody else in the future. This is a Patriots team, they stink. They don't have good players around him. They don't have good wide receivers. They don't have good running backs. The offensive line was better than I expected, but wasn't amazing. And the defense was fine or good, but not great. But that coaching staff makes up for so many problems. And that division is a Buffalo team that I personally, I like the way they've built. I think they've, they've, intelligently made moves, but I don't think they're abundantly talented. A Jets team who is certainly in a rehabilitation sort of process and a Dolphins team that once Tua starts playing in six weeks or whatever, they'll be fun to watch and interesting to cover, but they're not an overly strong team. I mean, you have three teams that are at the absolute best borderline playoff teams, and at the worst among the five worst teams in the league. And and I I just think Bill Belichick knows the path to the playoffs is winning games and winning games in the division. And if, if that means throwing Cam Newton to the Wolves, so be it. I mean, Cam Newton is a better runner than a passer. He always has been, but he's a capable passer, and they're going to use him accordingly. I, I just, it, it, I really think what's going to happen in the end is we're all going to look at Ron Rivera and go, oh my God, with a better group of players around him, McCaffrey and Moore and whoever else he's had over the last 10 years. They got less out of Cam Newton than Bill Belichick is going to this year. And again, that's not to say that the Patriots are going to be amazing. Uh, I just, I, I thought the game plan was superb. So the last guy in our, our four quarterback tandem that I wanted to talk about, we talked about Teddy Bridgewater and Tom Brady. We've talked about Cam is Jimmy Garoppolo. The shocker of the weekend was Arizona beating San Francisco. And I think Arizona absolutely deserves a lot of the credit. I thought their young quarterback, Kyler Murray, who I cannot watch without thinking he should be playing center field for the A's, (laughs) was very good, if not great. But what happened to the 49ers? I think that's a great question. You know, and, you know, they... You know, they still ran the ball, you know, fairly well. Um, and I had uh, uh, Mostert, the running back on my fantasy team. He had a pretty good game, but, you know, it's not a fantasy game. We can't really uh, worry about things like that. It tells you, though, right, because, uh, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, first-year head coach last year. Um, and I think that to your point earlier, right, uh, you know, having him with a year under his belt, 
uh, certainly was helpful. And, you know, Murray, I mean, you know, he had uh, you know, almost 100 yards rushing, right? He had like, I think, 90 yards or 91 yards and a, and a touchdown rushing. And, um, you know, he was fairly effective passing, 26 of 40, did have an interception in that game. Um, you know, it's interesting. Well, you know, and this is completely kind of... But remember, that was against arguably the best defense in the NFL. Right, right. I mean, it, it, it's not as though... I, I mean, that, that, that's a pretty good line when yeah. you're playing a team that went to the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, I, and I don't have any... I wish I had an answer for you. I, I don't know... Um, you know, I've got an answer. Okay. Jimmy Garoppolo stinks. <laughs> I, I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be bad for next week or the entire season, but th- that game was as easy to handicap and understand as could possibly be. Jimmy Garoppolo stunk. He just well, wasn't good. And this is he a rhetorical football game. This is a rhetorical question, and I don't know that I have uh, an answer. I think I can postulate a theory. But when you look at I mean, how many guys? Again, this is kind of rhetorical, but you might you might have some thoughts while I'm kind of pontificating here. Uh, but how many guys leave New England, whether it's assistant coaches, players, uh, and go on to have more success or a great deal of success leaving New England as they did in New England? Now, Garoppolo was is an interesting case because uh, you know at one point he was the heir apparent to Tom Brady, and apparently. You know, if you uh, if you take stock in some of what's been put out there about, you know, that was one of the Garoppolo not being traded or Garoppolo being traded was a source of friction in the in the um, kind of the inner workings of the Patriots because I think ownership wanted to keep uh, or wanted uh, wanted to keep Brady. There was some thought that the coaching staff wanted to keep Garoppolo. So you know, I don't who knows if that friction was as bad or ever matriculated as as we thought. Um, but I think Jimmy, I think he's not Tom Brady, obviously, but I think maybe the trait that he shared last year and when he was successful with New England is, you know, maybe his, he is that system quarterback guy. And in, when the, the moment gets too big, um, maybe he's not able to effectively manage the game. I don't know, but I, I, it's kind of interesting though. I mean, I think it's an interesting question to ask is, you know, who's gone, who's left New England either as a player or as a coach and has had a tremendous amount of success. Yeah, I mean, usually they are at their best when Bill Belichick coaches them. I feel strongly that Kyle Shanahan will figure this out. I was high on the Rams going into week one because they had a bad year, a disappointing year last year after not going to the Super Bowl. And I thought they played really well Sunday night against Dallas. I think both of those teams are actually pretty good. It's one week, and... The top two wide receivers for San Francisco didn't play in the game. But he almost got George Kittle, his best target, killed throwing a pass <laughs> that into traffic. And there were just several throws during the game that you, you shake your head at and you go, that's not the throw a veteran quarterback makes. That, that's just not the right play. Now, that division appears to be really tough. Seattle is good. The Rams are good. Maybe Arizona is good. That might be the toughest division in the NFL. And I think the 49ers will be good or or better than that. I mean, I think their over-under going into the year was like 11.5 wins, and now it's probably more like 10.5 or 10 wins, something like that. And, and I think they're going to be there or close to it. But if you had to pick between Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo, 
Cam Newton and Teddy Bridgewater for this year and this year only. Who are you putting under center? I would in that group. <clears throat> I would probably take uh, well with the advantage of Week One under my belt. I would probably, I'd probably take Cam Newton, number one, of those four. Yep. If he's health, if he's healthy, and not, now Bridgewater and would probably well be my coached. second. It's Cam Newton. Yeah. Yeah, and I liked what I saw from Teddy Bridgewater. I'd probably put him um, second, Brady third, and, and Garoppolo fourth. But you could talk me into Brady second. Yeah, that, I mean, that. we're right going to revisit this, whether it be next week or a yeah. month from now. No, 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 let's, let's, and, let's get some, and, and let's get some air it under again. it. I, yeah, let's get, I'd say like three or four weeks. Let's get some air under yeah. Bearded Carcast at Outlook.com. Which of those four quarterbacks, Brady Bridgewater, Newton, or Garoppolo, who would you want for your team this year? If you've got a Super Bowl contending team, which of those guys would you want running the show this year? Bearded Carcast at Outlook.com. Let's wrap up our NFL thoughts, Mike, with our pick of the week. You were victorious. The Patriots covered. I was victorious. New Orleans covered. Who are you going with um, this week? The Patriots are getting points in Seattle. Well, this is an interesting game um, for many reasons. Um, You know, obviously both teams coming off big wins. The one thing that I find interesting about this game is, and uh, the the number that Cam Newton has against Seattle is not good. Uh, In his career, uh, one in five against Seattle, um, and his his uh, when he does run, his runs per carry a little bit lower than his career average. So it's I mean it's negligible. I mean it, against Seattle, it's like four point nine eight, and in his career, it's just over five. So it, it's it is a little bit negligible, but it is um, it is I think worth worth mentioning. And when you look at this Seattle team. And they're uh, one of the lines I saw, Dave. I mean, they've kind of fluctuated between four and four and a half. Um, I think I'm gonna go on this one. I think I'm gonna take the uh, the points on this one and go Seattle. Well, if you're taking Seattle, you're laying the points. That's if what I said. I'm England, laying the points. What do you mean? I'm not taking so the you points. Want I'm laying the Seattle points. Seattle minus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, Seattle I said that minus wrong. four. Yeah. I don't You're bet. Take so Seattle minus four to beat yeah. the Patriots by. Yeah, no, that 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 that's totally fine. I'm surprised. I'm surprised you're going to go against Bill Belichick and Cam Newton. Now, obviously, we both think, think Seattle's pretty good, but I, I I'm surprised. I'm going back to New Orleans. I thought they were good in Week One against Tampa. I don't think Vegas is as good as Tampa. Now the game is out in Las Vegas, but limited or or no fans, and the Saints are laying six. I'm going to take the Saints for a second consecutive week. I am tempted by the Panthers getting more than a touchdown at Tampa Bay. Do you think that will be a competitive close game or not? Well, I would probably, uh, in that game, um, take the points, take Carolina at nine. I don't think that's going to be a nine-point game. I think uh, now I think Tampa Bay you know, may win that game, but they're not going to win by nine points, I don't think. 
I, I, I think yeah, Carolina that's has my gut. That's I, my gut feel. I, well, here's well. the thing. Like now, you know, Tampa does have you know, um, obviously offensive. You know, are they going to score more points on the Panthers' defense, and the Panthers' offense is going to score on the uh, Tampa Bay defense? I think this is going to be a, a little bit like the game against the Raiders. I, I think it's going to be points a lot. I, if this game is not over, if, if uh, I would in my head, I don't know what the actual uh, over under is. I mean, to me, it's probably close to sixty, or at least in the fifties. Um, and I would it's forty forty eight and a half. Okay, so close to fifty. Um, I mean, I think I would take the over on that. On points. Yeah, yeah, you could be right. A uh, couple of quick hitters before we call it a day on the bearded carcass. Did you watch any college football Saturday? Um, we watched a little bit. <clears throat> um, I'm trying to think of all the games we had on. Uh, so Notre Dame, I did see a little bit of the Notre Dame game, saw a little bit of the Carolina game. Uh, and then at night we were bouncing around because there were like three or four different games going on. So we uh, watched a little bit of Florida State. Uh, I, you know, what I was surprised with um, it was, uh, it, and I know they said there was only like twelve or fifteen thousand people in South Bend, but man, it looked like it was a bigger crowd than that. That that surprised me. And I know it's not really a football At, point but. in South Bend and in Tallahassee. I thought both of those it looked like there were a lot more people in the stands. That actually brings up something I meant to ask you about the NFL. I, I'm not even sure if they're doing it in college or not. What was your thought on the the piped in crowd noise on the TV broadcasts. You know something? Um, and I'll go back to baseball because I think baseball for the most part has done it well. Uh, and as, I don't know if this is from a purist or from just being a sound guy, I didn't like the idea of it going in, but I have to say um, it, I think it does help the experience a little bit because even though you know even though you know there's not a crowd there, it's still you're just so used to hearing it. Now, you and I have called some um, some low level games where uh, there were more staff people than fans, uh, and you can tell. I mean, if you go back to any any of our old old demo tapes of uh, you know Winthrop Bradford women's basketball games, uh, and that's not to rip them, but uh, you know some some of those games were not were not very well attended. I mean when you go back and listen to those games that don't have any crowd behind it, um, it's just a different feel. I mean, it doesn't, you know, especially when you're used to, uh, that's why I think it's interesting when people are, are that do the hiring, you know, if you have a tape that doesn't have crowd noise on it, it through no fault of the person calling them, I mean, they may be great doing play by play and you can get past that, but I can't help but wonder if there's a sense of, you know, are, are they ready for the big time if, if they're calling games with nobody there? Um, but I think just just we're so accustomed to having that sound, right? Um, and, and you knew that the the uh, you know the effects feeds were going to be really clean. Um, but I, I and if you, I, to me the bigger thing would be not having an effects feed. I I think that would be if you were just hearing a game and it was just like um, you know it was like a, an effects CD and just like a you know I think that would stand out more. But when you have the crowd noise, a little bit of crowd noise. And then you have the effects feed, so that still feels like you know you hear the whistles and the crunching of the tackles and the and the you know the lines going up against each other. Uh, and I think some broadcasts were more creative than others, right? I think some piped in a little bit of like um, more cheering or, or booing if on certain. You know, I, I think that's interesting. I don't. I, I, in theory, I don't like it, but in practice, I think it's been better than I thought it would be. What do you? Very think? large generality. 
I thought CBS did a better job than Fox. I thought CBS was much more tamed, calm, a little bit added, but not a lot. Particularly the Minnesota Green Bay game, I just thought it was ridiculous. They they made it sound like there were 50,000 people at the game. You yeah. can look into the crowd. That there wasn't. It just it seemed very artificial to me. Yeah. I don't think I need it. It just it, it's just kind of fake. I think if you took the Nat sound, like you mentioned, even if you put a little murmur in the background, that would be fine. But I mean, who who are you trying to fool? Like yeah. like we can see, there there's nobody in the stands. Um, so I, I I wasn't I wasn't wild over it. Um, I think the one they've thing, done a better job in the... No, I was going to say, the one thing I would have liked to have seen, and I know you have to be worried about language, but uh, to me, I would rather yep. hear you know, conversations and, and things from the coaches yelling at players or players yelling at each other. Like, I'd rather hear that than artificial fake noise. Yep. Uh, but, but to your point, I agree with you. I think if you had that with a little bit of underneath it, just so it doesn't sound too quiet... But yeah, I don't think it needs to be too jazzed up, like it's a, like it's a, um, like you're listening to a radio play from the '50s. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, tonight we've got Game Seven in the NBA. It's the Clippers and Denver. Denver came back from three-one down to beat Utah in the first round, and they have come back from three-one down to tie the series at three. Um, have you been watching any of the series? I've been more focused on the Celtics uh, side of things um, and not as focused on the West. Uh, but I will say this, um, and I think it was interesting. Somebody put a clip up yesterday uh, about uh, Phil Jackson when he was with the Lakers saying something about Doc Rivers' teams and that they uh, – I forget what year it was. It was probably the year they beat the Celtics. But uh, that, he, that year, Doc Rivers' teams had blown more fourth-quarter leads – than any uh, team in the league that year. Um, and so kind of planting that seed that, you know, in the big game, maybe the, the Clippers are, are going to have some trouble. Uh, now, again, this is historical versus current. Uh, you know, if, you know, Kawhi Leonard is is awesome. And you know, I like Doc Rivers. I mean, I I, I kind of root for him. Um, I liked him when he was with the Celtics. I liked him before that, but I liked him particularly when he was with the Celtics. Um, but, you know, Denver, I mean, they just keep coming back. And, you know, they're a fun team to watch. They're an incredibly fun team to watch because Nikola Jokic is the big guy that coaches dream of. Mm -hmm. He can step outside. He can play inside. He is an unbelievable passer, a spectacular passing big guy, and you can run the entire offense through him. Murray has had a terrific year. I think more so than almost any player in the bubble, I've learned to to watch and appreciate him because I wasn't watching a lot of Nuggets games before they went into the bubble. He He's sensational. Michael Porter, of course, had the very abbreviated college career. He's been really good. And from a local standpoint, it is impossible not to just kind of smile every time you see Torrey Craig yeah. On the court. I mean, he's a guy that had one scholarship offer to USC Upstate. Would have loved to get a scholarship anywhere a little bit bigger, a little bit more prominent, and no one would bite on him. And he not only plays on a playoff team, he plays on a team that's a win away from the Western Conference Finals, and he doesn't sit on the bench. He plays 
big, critical minutes and just stands in the three-point line, hits a three when needed to, plays good defense. I mean, he's Michael Jenkins who played at Winthrop on steroids. He has made himself a great player. It's all about will and desire, and and I just I love seeing him, particularly when you're playing against a team with Kawhi and Paul George, and that's the modern NBA, the guys you bring in in free agency, and you can't not like those guys. They're, they're terrific players, particularly the way they play on the defensive end. They're, they're dedicated to playing defense. But that being said, Denver is such a fun story, and I really, really enjoy watching them. And I think they've got a big chance tonight. I, I think the Clippers are, are the favorite, and yeah. reasonably so. But I think it's going to be a really good game. What do you think about uh, the Celtics and the Heat? I love the Celtics. I I thought that Celtics-Raptors series was a war. It was well played. You know, I thought everything about the Celtics and Raptors was good except the officiating. And I'm not one to to wail on that, but... God, the the officiating in the NBA has gotten like the NFL. They review every play, and sometimes it seems like they're over the top. Other times they let everything go. It's just so wildly inconsistent, it's hard to follow, and sometimes you lose the rhythm. But but that being said... I thought Brad Stevens, or I think Brad Stevens is is tremendous. I thought Nick Nurse was great. I loved the way that series played out. The quality of play, the level of play, the coaching, the the last minute stuff. It, it, it was great. I mean, it's been hard to watch a lot of the Heat because they've absolutely run through their opponents. But when I've watched them, I've been really impressed. I I think just. It's more views than anything else. I've seen a lot more of the Celtics than the Heat, and I think the Celtics are really good. So so I, I probably think the Celtics are going to win, and I think they're a really relatable team. I think they're a very easy team to cheer for, but but I, it, it should be it should be a very good a very good series. Last thing before we call it a day, yeah. the NCAA is going to make an announcement probably tomorrow about what college basketball season is going to look like. And, you know, they can announce one thing and we'll see what COVID looks like and what actually happens. I think the most likely scenario is the start of the season is going to be pushed back to around Thanksgiving and then things are going to go more or less the way it normally goes, though there is a thought that they're going to play bubbles just to be to be more comfortable. Do, does it matter? So long as you get in your non-conference season, play a spattering of out-of-conference games, and there's an NCAA tournament, do you care what it looks like? Not really. I mean, I, do, I probably think the bubble, I, if you're going to go ahead with it, uh, I think the bubble idea makes sense to some extent. Um, just it, I feel it's a little bit more safe, but... Um, I think the fact that they're delaying the start a little bit will be, you know, if that indeed is what happens, I think that'll be good. But I just hope we see a season, Dave, to be honest with you. And I hope it, it's a safe one. And, but I don't, I mean, how they get there, I'm not overly concerned unless something real gimmicky happens. But uh, I, I'd be comfortable with a bump. I mean, I'd probably be more comfortable with a bubble situation right now. But, um, you know, I think what's interesting with 350 or three, well, yeah, 351 teams, uh, it'd be interesting to see how all that shakes out. I don't know. I mean, because uh, you know, we've heard, you and I have heard a bunch of different scenarios. Um, you know, what happens if you don't? You know, will there be a bubble opportunity for everybody? 
you know, and what happens to the teams that if they yeah, are? Yeah, that's in a, a great bubble? question. Yeah, and and I don't know. It, it, yep, if it, it's pay to play. Yeah. Yeah, and in three fifty one, only might be certain too many teams to... can right. afford to play. Right, it'll be interesting to see the way it plays out because the big boys are going to be able to afford to do whatever they want. If you are eight low major teams and you aren't invited to a bubble or you're not hosting one, how are you going to get that done? I think we could end up with a lot of home and home type things or weekend regional type things. But honestly, is that bad? Why does Winthrop need to play SIU Edwardsville when they could play South Carolina State and? Furman. No, absolutely, and, and that may be the change, or that we, we're not going to see is um, is some of the more interesting, you know, obscure teams playing big teams, uh, and instead, like you said, being more on a regional side. Yeah. One last thing I did want to mention yeah. to you is how closely are you watching baseball? And I know the Red Sox are having a crummy year, but are, are you following it or not really? Well, that's the benefit of being a um, White Sox affiliate. Uh, and having had um, a lot of the guys that you're seeing in Chicago right now play for the Knights, uh, Aloy Jimenez, uh, Luis Robert, uh, Dylan Cease. So I would say, you know, my natural uh, rooting interest is has waned because of the Red Sox, but I love this White Sox team. I mean, they're fun to watch. Uh, Lucas Giolito, uh, who kind of struggled at times when he was with us and went up and, and did well and then struggled the next year and, and had a great year last year and off to another good year this year. Uh, to me, that's one of the rewarding things about calling minor league baseball is when, and for, now for many years we didn't have that. I mean, you might have one or two guys every year, or three guys that would go up and and have good stories. But uh, you know, up and down the lineup, Johan uh, uh, Mancata, uh, Tim Anderson, briefly. I mean, there, there's so many guys that that came through Charlotte that are on that White Sox team, and you know, the White Sox have a chance of being the number one seed in the playoffs. Okay, this is exactly where I was going with this. So I'm glad you found a team that you have in a, an affiliation with, a team that you're able to cheer for. And I agree with a lot of the things you said. I like the young White Sox nucleus, and it does help that we kind of got to know them a little bit here in Charlotte. You know I'm a diehard A's fan. Yes. The injury to Matt Chapman is absolutely crushing mm. in a season in which I thought they were viable World Series contenders. He's the best defender in Major League Baseball at any position, a terrific hitter, kind of a captain of the team. He's gone for the year. Very, very tough loss. Of the first 20 A's games of the year this year, I probably watched or listened to 15 of them. Of the second 20 games, I probably watched or listened to 10 of them. And now I'm watching or listening kind of occasionally. The playoff format has ruined the pennant race. Why do you need to watch any White Sox games? What difference does it make if they're the first seed or the second seed? And with a bubble for the playoffs where you're not going to play home games anyway, the, 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 the rest of the season, the rest of the regular season, unless you're one of those bubble teams, you know, the, the Yankees and the, the Indians are probably going to make the playoffs. But, it, it, you know, maybe they could drop out. So each game is important to continue to win. But if you're not on the bubble between 8 and 9 or 7 and 8 or something like that, if you're one of the top two or three teams, th this might as well be the NBA or the NHL. The end of the season doesn't matter. Well, and I think because it's truncated, Dave, it maybe exacerbates that issue, right? Because, I mean, you could get off to a great start, you know, April and May, and then you hit June and something happens and all of a sudden you, you free fall. Um, you know, now with this sprint and with the additional teams, 
Yeah, that I mean, it, it does. Uh, I, I think it's still it's I think it's still I mean, look, it's benefiting the, the rich guys. Right. Or if, you, if you're one of those teams, you still have a rooting interest. Uh, and there's more of them, obviously. Um, but. I would probably like I wasn't a huge fan of extending the playoffs. Um, I mean, I understand why they did it and it makes sense because in a truncated season, they're trying to maximize as much revenue as they can. Uh, and I think we talked about this last week. I don't know that I'd be in favor of expanding uh, this playoff format down the road for kind of the very reasons that you uh, just enumerated. I, th- I think it would take a little bit away from the pennant race. Now, some people would say, I mean, that was the argument, right? When they went to the wild, the, um, the going to the original wild yep. card. Uh, and I think that worked, but I think, that was a number situation where not a lot of teams were getting into the playoffs. And now you're in a situation where it's almost like hockey where, you know, half the teams of the league uh, can go into the playoffs. It reminds me of the college basketball leagues where they play a neutral site conference tournament and they don't give a double bye and yeah. winning the regular season doesn't matter. It, it, at the end of the season, you should, if you support a good team, be living and dying on every game. Last night, the A's played a doubleheader in Seattle, and they led game one 5 nothing, and they coughed it up. The bullpen was awful. They lost 6-5, and I had no reaction because they're going to win the division. They're going to be one of the top three seeds. They're going to host the first-round playoff series, and if they win it, they're going to go into a bubble, and it just doesn't make any difference. I would make this argument, um, and this is not never going to happen in a thousand years, um, and maybe it's too altruistic. But to me, uh, adding more playoff rounds, even if it's only like the quick one game, you know, I just don't think it lends itself to the game. In other words, uh, you know, if you were to add like three game series or seven game series, you know, now you're talking about six weeks of playoffs. Um, you know, baseball's already you know at 162 games. And I don't care what people say. Uh, to me, baseball, maybe not from a pure physical standpoint of, you know, your body's getting beaten up, but just from mental and physical, the sense of playing every day, working out every day, batting practice every day. I mean, baseball from April to October is strenuous. It's strenuous on your mind. It's strenuous on your body. It's a different kind of – it's not the same physical toll that, you know, football or basketball put on you. But, you know, in basketball, you know, for the most part, unless you have back-to-backs, you have – a day or two or three days, sometimes even four days in between games. Football, you have a week in between games unless you're playing on Thursday night. You know, baseball is a grind. And even, you know, I don't care who you are if you work in baseball. Even if you're not a player, if you're a staff member and you're going to every single game and you're traveling, that's, that's a lot. It's a lot of wear and tear on you. And um, I almost think less playoffs in baseball would be better. I mean, I think I, I'm okay. I'm comfortable with where they are you know, the format going into last year. I, you know, I'm, I understand why they're doing this year and I'm okay with that because of that. But uh, it, it's a lot. It, it takes a, you know, I don't know. It, it's, you know, you know, I've talked about this. I mean, I, I think the perfect scenario would be to, to go back to like 130 games. And, um, and I think it, the games would be fresher. I think te- you, you still, you still have that everyday nature of baseball and the, and the, but I just think it's, that's just a lot of games, a lot of games for the players, a lot of games for people to pay attention. Yeah. I mean, with our attention span nowadays, they're not too, right? I mean, it's to, as a fan, I mean, how many fans, you know, will pay attention for the first week or two in April and then kind of just zone out until, you know, after the NBA ends? 
Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is they're not going to leave a tremendous amount of revenue on the table. They're going to play 162 games, or if not 162, 158 or something like that. And they're going to play playoff games, particularly in this season, because they need the extra TV revenue. But I think instead of having eight playoff teams in each league, you could have had seven. The number one overall seed gets a bye into the final four, and all of a sudden, the Rays, who are clear, the White Sox, who are clear, the Twins and the A's are playing for something down the stretch as opposed to just setting their rotation for the for the postseason. Yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting theory. All right, the last thing before we go, Dave. This this might be this might not be a regular feature, but a time-to-time feature, right? I was at the, the store yesterday, and I bought an Apple. How many And how many clues can you guess what Apple I bought? It's like name that. Well, I'm going to take one guess before there are any clues. Okay. Hopefully, I'll just go. Wow. One for one. Now this this could end. But this could end the segment forever if you get it right. (laughs) Well, it's it's September. Yep. This is kind of prime Apple season. The the Apple Festival normally takes place on Labor Day weekend, and in North Carolina, the most profitable and the most popular apple is the Honeycrisp. So I'm going to guess the Honeycrisp because that would be the right apple at the right time of year. Okay. Now, I have to admit I passed on the Honeycrisp. I did see that. And I don't know if it was just because the the apple that I ended up going with maybe looked a little bit fuller. Uh, So how many many clues do you think? I mean, you've already lost because you you tried to preempt it. But how many guesses do you think you can guess? I don't know. Uh, Give me two more guesses. Okay. Let's see how good you are on your uh, your PLU code. It's four one three one. Ooh, I don't four one three one. Okay, I'll give PLU you. I'll code. give you another one. I'd say that, it's a robust apple, probably about two and a half, three inches tall. Uh, good red orange coloring with a little bit of beige. Huh. All right, that's interesting because. I, I was in Hendersonville a few weeks ago to pick up a bushel of Swiss Gourmet, one of my favorite yes. apples, and I had a few of several other types while I was there, and I thought the galas were particularly mm. good, but the coloring you just mentioned, that doesn't sound like a gala. They're more red yeah. than than that mixed coloring yeah. you just yeah. mentioned. This is also the name um, of a water, a brand of water. Oh, Fuji? Yes, you got it. Good answer. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, that was pretty good then. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm sure this is going to be a very popular <laughs> feature, and we'll have to run it back. But, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's great, great. <laughs> well, I just thought it would be a twist on our – because we can't actually go and get apples uh, necess- together necessarily. So – and we know – everyone knows That's that true. listens to this. But, but I, an I, apple I file am you corresponding are. regularly – that's right. I'm corresponding regularly with my people in Hendersonville. I got the the thumbs up when the uh, when the Gravenstein were ready this year. Went up oh, nice. in in July and got them, and uh, got the thumbs up on the Swiss Gourmet in August, and and went and got them. And I'm assured that that there are going to be more Swiss Gourmets when I finish this bushel in a couple of weeks and go get go get some more. So uh, yeah, it's a good apple season. You you know, you 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 were 
commenting off air before we started. We started recording a little bit late that uh, I would be upset. And normally, as an efficient person, that would upset me. But since I don't have anything going on, <laughs> since I'm not broadcasting any football games, it's somewhat less of a big less. deal at this right. point. Well, and next week we'll do Name That Soup. Yeah. Well, I want you to know I did um, I, I, I did my – I've now finished – Campbell's chart, Gardner Webb's chart, okay. uh, UNC Asheville's chart. I'm waiting on High Point to update their website to do their basketball chart. I did Longwood last night. I've got Radford done. Hampton's website isn't updated, and I'm in the middle of USC Upstate. So I'm working my way through the Big South Conference. There are a surprising number of freshman Australians in the league this year. Oh, interesting. Well, we'll, we'll uh, talk about that. Uh, more coming up. I think we should probably. Uh, well, I think we've taken enough people's time enough. Uh, we should probably move on from from all this <laughs> great time. Well, they have the option of of stop. They have the option to stop listening Shh. anytime, and I presume Shh. most Don't of them have that. taken that out already. <laughs> Don't tell them. <laughs> all right, beardedcarcast at outlook dot com. Get us on Stitcher. Get us on iTunes. Leave a review. We'll talk to you next week. Beardedcarcast at outlook dot com and at beardedcarcast on Twitter.